More TV superheroes, just what the world needs. Warning. DC on R&D, the Doom Patrol edition, contains adult language and discussions, as well as the occasional sexually explicit joke, and from time to time, some crude and off-color remarks. If you're easily offended, don't continue to listen. And then go fuck yourself. Hello, everyone. This is DC on RMD, the Doom Patrol edition. Yes, that is right. We've decided to quit playing coy and just commit. Doom Patrol is a fabulous show, and it only makes sense for us to add it to our rotation of discussions. Isn't that right, Bob? Uh, yeah, uh, we, I think we've, uh, we're expanding our universe. Yeah, we've got to do that. In order for us to grow and sustain our growing fan base, we have to just add more content. Plus, like... I would feel horrible if we didn't cover a show that's related to DC that's this good. Yeah. Yes, most definitely. Now, not sure how the hosting duties is going to end up for now with this show, but it looks like I will be here taking the lead. And who am I? I'm Michael Flores, the host. And returning to the studio this week with me is, of course, Bob, because you just heard him a few seconds ago. Hello, Bob. Hello. Paul Oaks. Hello. Hey. And we've added a third body. Fourth. Oh, fourth. I don't know. I don't know math very well. Uh, um, that's what I'm here for. David Sabal. Hello. Hello. It's like you assembled your own Doom Patrol, Mike. I did. We're all a bunch of fugly, fucked up <laughs> individuals that suffer with some form of PTSD. Absolutely. I relate to Robot Man, like, like aggressively well. His, his mentality and his reactions to everything I'm absolutely in love with. Oh, yeah. See, I relate to Elastigirl. You know, I feel all blobby and ugly every day when I wake up and I look at myself in the mirror and I'm stressed out. And But then people start saying good stuff about you and you're just like, oh, fuck you. I feel like a pretty girl. I'm like, I am a pretty girl I again. so attractive. Yeah. All right. So today we plan to discuss, and I'm sure overanalyze, episode two of Doom Patrol's inaugural run, Donkey Patrol. And the audience, those that are subscribers of dc universe and you pirates out there i got my eye on you we're treated to another exceptional episode showrunner jeremy carver along with writers neil reynolds and shoshana sachi utilize a similar writing template as the pilot which we blew vigorously last week in order to keep the narrative focused and the episode tight they utilize the introduction of cyborg in a similar fashion as they did with cliff Steele, aka robot man and by doing so, they not only managed to seamlessly introduce a new character without taking 55 effing steps back like The Walking Dead does every week. And the way Cyborg's introduction story was weaved, it actually helped push forward the individual character arcs of our other reluctant heroes, which also made way for our stars to show their purdy faces. And Bob, you and I have actually continued to discuss this on and off the air about the casting choices of Brendan Fraser and Matt Bomer. They're relatively big names, and these types of actors don't like taking roles that don't show their face. Uh, yeah. They don't. I mean, what's the point, right? There's no point for them. Absolutely no point. I mean, I wish I showed my face a lot more around here, but... I wish I can wear a mummy mask. Like, what? Like, like <laughs> I, can, I, I, want to... I can wrap you up before... <laughs> Dude, I wish sometimes. Like, fuck. 
honestly, uh, you you just got me thinking that like, yeah, of course, this was Cyborg's first episode and this was like a Cyborg centric episode. But like when I was writing it out, my own little like notes, observations yeah. from having finished the episode, I thought this was like a really Jane focused episode. It kind of was with some like solid sprinkles of everybody else while moving the story forward. So the fact that they had Cyborg in there and like I didn't hate any of that and it's fucking good. I don't know. I don't really have a point. It didn't take anything away from the episode because it actually added to stuff because like Jane's still the main focus of the whole series since the pilot Mm -hmm. because like Jane's the key to everything because of the quote unquote underground and all the powers that she actually has. So you're you're right. I mean, I was really curious how Cyborg would fit in because he's not in Doom Patrol. How are they going to force feed this character, force fit this character into the team? Very effectively. And they did it really effectively. Now, Jane is definitely what the episode was about. But what's keeping the episode intact is the backstory of Cyborg. Because Jane's going to be the mystery of the show. We're going to slowly figure yeah. out what's going on with her with that whole underground, which is fucking cool. It's and awesome. Poetic as hell. We're going to get into that much later. But we also learned a bit more about each of our heroes, which makes this, you know, a huge plus because the real myth arc officially got started in this episode. We see the path and now it's time for us to embark. And it was a good time. And I love that Metatron from Supernatural, a.k.a. Booger from Revenge of the Nerds, a.k.a. Curtis Armstrong, played Ezekiel the Cockroach for absolutely no reason. Now, Dave, because you are here, is this an ongoing character in Doom Patrol, Ezekiel the Cockroach? <laughs> he is. It is. It is. <laughs> really? It's a, it's a cool character. Like, you got to understand, in Doom Patrol, they're not your normal heroes. They're not right. like, they're, they're pretty much like the the Z team of like superheroes so you're gonna have like these like off the wall heroes like a cockroach i love it i was like is that fucking curtis armstrong i had (laughs) no idea i had to go back i I recognize his voice and i'm like that's somebody i know that's somebody i know and then after a day and a half a day and a half later i was like fuck that's curtis armstrong then i went to imdb and noticed yes he's playing the cockroach for Berlanti and them have a history of doing this because remember they're like Legends of Tomorrow cast Pee Wee Herman to guest star. He was a fucking psychotic doll. Doll. <laughs> and, and it's just like, oh, okay, well, they just find people to do random things like this. Yeah. And we're going to get into all of this, but first let's talk cyborg. And we have tons of cyborg talk today. But Dave and Paul, I'm curious to find out what you two think about Jovi and Wade's portrayal and the direction they're taking with cyborg. Dave. As we have stated, you're the Doom Patrol nut. I want to know first how you feel about Cyborg being a part of Doom Patrol, because obviously we know based on comic book canon, he never was a part of Doom Patrol. And whether or not this works for you as an actual fan of Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol run. I would, I'll be honest. I was really hesitant when they first announced Doom Patrol and then you see Cyborg. And mm-hmm. I, at first I was like, thinking, well, maybe they're, they're using him as a replacement for Beast Boy. Right. Because Beast Boy is supposed to be part of Doom Patrol. Yeah. And I was like going, the way that they kind of visualize Cyborg in the very beginning, it seemed like he was going to be pictured as a younger version of a superhero and it would fit the Beast Boy team that, yes. that was in the comic. Right. Yeah. I was not expecting what they went with with 
cyborg in this episode. But did it work for you? It worked. It honestly really worked. I like the little tells to, you know, oh, he's trying to get into the Justice League. He knows the Flash. <laughs> yeah, I like that. The only the only thing that I thought was really off by it. I don't know about you guys. That threw but this you is, off? That threw me off mm-hmm. was like when you get those certain shots of cyborg up close, the prosthetics that they put on him. Yeah. It doesn't quite look right to me. Like it, it looks almost like rubber at one point. Maybe it is. And I'm like going, I don't know if that's just because of how they design they're they're designing him right now. So you have an issue with the aesthetics. I have the, a, yeah. a little, a tiny, very tiny because I really liked it. Do you think it's very just off putting? It's off putting just a little bit. Okay. I, I was really hoping that, uh, I don't know. Maybe they were going to test him out in this episode because they mentioned the eye. He gets like a replacement or repaired eye. eye. And I'm hoping that in like future episodes, once they've established that like people like and care about him and he's worth the budget, um, they will make his like his just glowing red, non-moving, very awkward eye like digital and make it move around. Yeah, I'd be super pleased with that because uh, just that that non-moving while other eyes move and look at stuff is. Yeah, really, uh, really takes away from the quality factor. Yeah. yeah. And honestly, the more I thought about it afterwards, I got more psyched knowing that Cyborg's in this team because the the way that they could portray him, Cyborg is one of those characters, even as a comic book fan, you know, he's like broken. And the whole point about Doom Patrol is all these characters are broken. Very broken. Way. Yeah. He kind of seamlessly fits with this group, even though he may not originally have been a part of it within it, the comics. It depends on where they go with him. Yeah. Because, you know, like in, in the comic books, Cyborg, one of his biggest storylines was like, is he machine or man? And it, it was like this story arc they did. I forgot in Teen Titans where Cyborg. I mean, that's that's. Yeah, it's, it's one of the it's one of the big things that like they just always do with the, the character. With really. the character a, is like, is he more machine than man? Yeah, and it, it, he's broken in that in that sense. Like he doesn't believe that he's human anymore, and it's it goes in line with what this TV show is going with, where yeah. it's like everyone's questioning, I'm not human anymore. I'm I'm a freak. Well, I felt like it worked, especially with the whole parallels with you know frankenstein's monster and how they portrayed his father in oh, the episode dude, i mean I that's fantastic with that one. it was really cool i like that a lot now paul you hate cyborg that's not a, a secret or a mystery to anybody no and not like so far I, in this version i feel i feel kind of like i'm betraying my own character um <laughs> uh, because like there there hasn't been a lot but there's been at least two like two different shows like not even different episodes but like entirely different programs that we have done that i have voiced how much i hate cyborg because he sucks um and (laughs) and i i had like no real aside from that eyeball thing i was just talking about i had no real issues with uh, cyborg in this at all and i really like that i know you have this noted in here somewhere um they kind of bypassed the origin. Like we know there was a lab accident. We know that, you know, his mom is dead. Um, general, like this is the character kind of stuff, but they didn't harp on any of it. They just kind of assumed that you were aware of any of it, probably because a movie just happened with him in it. And, you know, same and, kind of stuff. And also the way they're telling the story, it's very nonlinear. They can yeah. easily fill in the gaps when the show requires it for example if they were to do it now like hey here's his backstory you would be pushing the brakes 
and we'd all just go through the windshield. The pacing is so good right now. Mm-hmm. Why stop everything so we can introduce the origin story of a character that mm, is he going to be here permanently or not? So the way they're doing it is pretty fucking smart. It yeah. keeps people intrigued. It keeps people interested without slowing things down. Well, the one thing that surprised me, I wanted to ask you guys about it is like, they literally made his origin a no big deal. Like when he was talking to Mr. Nobody and he Who? was like, uh, the, I know I'm yeah, the kidding. narrator, but like they were like treating it as if cyborgs already past that. He doesn't yeah. care about that anymore. Yeah. It's something else that makes him broken. I agree. And I like that because they showed, they foreshadowed who he would eventually become. Like he's a, he's a leader and he's a strong character. In fact, he's and even though he's broken and he's still struggling, uh, he's miles ahead of the Doom Patrol crew at this point. Right. And like as as far as the, honestly, a lot of the parts that I don't like about his character in general, the like, woe is me. Everything is terrible. I have this awesome body and I'm a robot. <laughs> but like so you take that character and you put him with like interact, make him interact with a guy like fucking robot man. Yeah. And like he's just going to keep his mouth shut because like you don't <laughs> <laughs> you do not pity your own situation when you got this guy. Yeah. Just a brain in a robot body built in like the late seventies with his, with this sweet little, I don't know, shit eyes. It's very, um, it's very steampunk. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. very steampunk. Um, all right. So let's talk about this article here. It has to do with, um, of course, cyborg and the betrayal by Jovi and Wade. It comes from dccomics.com. Get ready to meet a younger version of the iconic superhero on DC Universe's newest series. Cyborg is finally making his grand debut on DC Universe, but not where fans initially expected to see him. Instead of joining the team on Titans, he actually is showing up in this past episode of Doom Patrol. Despite Vic Stone having a huge connection to the teen Titans in the comics, the powers that be decide to have him join the dysfunctional team on Doom Patrol. According to series star Jovian Wade, That's because fans are going to meet a younger version of the iconic superhero than ever before. Okay, is this the youngest version we've ever seen of of Cyborg? I mean, he was always a high school kid, wasn't he? That's what I thought. Not necessarily because like, I mean, in in Justice League, I always got the sense that he's in college. This is this is a really much younger Cyborg. You gotta go to college when you can plug into the Internet and learn everything. (laughs) <laughs> like how 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 mad would you be you about gotta, spending ruin the comics? any money on college if this happened to you? If you just like okay, I know everything now. Like, <laughs> goddamn it, college! <laughs> uh, Way to destroy years of comic but, books. Yeah, as Bob. far as far as how old the character is, like at any given time. But like the origin isn't isn't he usually or always in high school? That's when, what I thought. I when thought he was young. Incident occurs. Yeah. I believe so. It's always been in the in, in, it's just how in much in time has passed since then. But like visually, like historically, where they visually have actually portrayed him. This is this is the youngest version of it. OK. All right. So the article continues with the DCU. Television network, apparently, there are always going to be opportunities, they say, to cross over. And I'm sure they will, he tells us. But especially when it comes to Cyborg's origin story and understanding who he is as a character, he fits within the world of Doom Patrol, just like we just said. Uh, every single person in Doom Patrol has gone through uh, traumatic, unfortunate events, which have given them 
some kind of dysfunction or disability. And that just strengthens the idea or the reasoning behind why they would bring him into the show. To me, this is the perfect show to address his issues. If you look at Titans and how that was written, his uh, to give a true origin story or introduction to a character like this, I don't feel Titans could have handled it within its first season, especially with the type of crew they assembled for that show Mm -hmm. and the issues they are going through which is very different than the doom patrol so for right now this is probably the best home for this character and eventually as we said in our last discussion he's probably gonna make that that jump over the titans eventually at some point yeah once once he gets through his uh his his character journey with whatever mr nobody's gonna push him through this season is this like triple a or double a baseball team Doom oh, Patrol, no, no, no. and then it's Titans single is like, A. <laughs> Titans Doom is Patrol like, is single A, Bobby. <laughs> and then you get promoted to Titans, and then you get promoted to Justice League. You work your way up as a young superhero. Well, he definitely doesn't want to be the, on this team, I'm sure. The DC farm system. Oh, you don't want to find yourself on in the DC farm system in single A, because that's Doom Patrol. You're going to die. I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> if I was Cyborg, I'd be trolling Doom Patrol. I mean, you have Elastigirl who's pretty hot as long as she can keep herself Doom you know, Patrol stress-free. Doom Patrol ain't getting no ass, though. Why? Why do you say that? Because did you see when they go I mean, to town and they figure out what's going on? They're not even a team yet. They're a bunch of like uh, that hang out together. Yeah. They come off the short bus. It would be it would be like as if you threw the three of us out there, Mike, and wanted us to save the world. We're probably gonna fuck it up. Well, no, no, because Dave. because I'm gonna me? I'm gonna say that. No, no, no. You're 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 uh you're you're the guy in the wheelchair that basically sits in the bus. Oh, okay. Oh, you're so handsome and a Nazi and the Rocketeer. Um, so. I think the three of us, we would try to save the world. We, of course, wouldn't. But, like, we'd yeah. try. Doom Patrol, like, right now, like, mentally, everybody's like, I don't even want to try. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine or it's not. Well, how can you save the world when you can't even save yourself? And that's the beautiful thing about this show. Because there's a message here and a theme. And we're going to get into all of that. But first, we're going to get into a quick break. We'll be right back. What the fuck? The Rain Man Show. The Rain Man. Thomas, you were on the right track. Thank you. Because that's the first thing I thought. This is a story worthy of Andrew. Who else? Fuck. Who else pees in their mouth in the shower? Oh, my God. So here's what happened. I just got off of uh, a a super long, like, 13-hour work break, right? Running off of, like, three hours of sleep. Wake up, get in the shower, skipping some time. I just let go in the shower, right? Pee in the shower. Who hasn't? Right. right. This is happening. Wait, hold on. Let's let's tackle this first. You guys pee in the shower? I've done it every now and then. Who doesn't pee in the shower? Uh, uh, You're not supposed to. Thank you, Raina. Thank you. (laughs) Finally. Don't let Raina fool you. Raina pees in the shower. (laughs) That was one time, and you said you wouldn't tell. (laughs) For more Rain Man, visit RainManShow.com. Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open Sesame! Great point. I didn't even think of that until you said it. That Ash Tyler is that archetype. He, he is, is that archetype. He's the seven of nine. But he's he, different. Because think about think how think how different and terrible as a character that must feel like being part human and part Klingon. You are dealing with something that wants to has, kill. Do you think he has two dicks like the Klingon? 
<laughs> Yo, Burnham. <laughs> I grew my other dick back. I grew, I grew my other dick I know back. when we were together, I didn't have it. I'll give you But a now that I'm not trying to hide, they let they allowed it to grow back. My Klingon DNA took over for a little bit. Just in the penis area. Just so I got I got one nine inch penis and I got one twelve inch penis. Look out. <laughs> Look out, ladies. I put a baby in Laurel. Oh. What do you think I could do to you? I put a baby in Laurel and a baby in Burnham at the same time. <laughs> oh, God. Jesus Christ. <laughs> that devolved very, very quickly. Star Trek from the Holodeck. Exclusively on Rain Man Digital. End simulation. Free stuff is awesome, but free stuff that will spice up your bedroom is even better. Just go to adamandeve.com and select almost any one item for 50% off, and then we'll load on the free stuff. Just enter this very exclusive code, Rain Man, at checkout, and you'll get 10 tantalizing free gifts, including a sexy item for him, a special toy for her. And a third item you'll both enjoy. And six extra special bonus items that are sure to rev your engine, pique your curiosity, Mm. and even blow you away. Plus, free shipping. Always sent in discreet packaging. Go to adamandeve.com now. Get 50% off plus the 10 free gifts when you enter the exclusive offer code RAINMAN. Again, that's RAINMAN. Because without it, no free stuff. That's RAINMAN at adamandeve.com. Welcome back to the shit show, everyone. Where were we? All right, we're back. All right, so currently you can find us on Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. Just simply search DC on RMD and subscribe to either the Doom Patrol edition or the DC on RMD main feed, which includes all of our DC-related discussions and reviews. All right, so this episode was directed by Dermot Downs. The synopsis, the chief has disappeared, and the only clue that the team has to his whereabouts is an average donkey so they think so this show is such a brilliant example for all those television writers out there trying to tell non-linear stories dave this is something you and i go back and forth on all of the discussion shows that we do on this network everybody wants to do non-linear stories nowadays we can blame we can blame lost for that yes and not everyone has the ability to do it Including Lost. Including, including Lost. Lost, but it made it famous. And they almost never succeed the way Doom Patrol has under the leadership of showrunner Jeremy Carver, which is his knack. He did yes. this on other shows that he has produced. He has a very uncanny, nuanced approach to developing an episode's narrative. And with a show like this, you've got to cover a lot of ground within just within just 60 short minutes because... You only have 10 episodes that make up your entire season. It is amazing that basically in the two in the two episodes that we've seen so far, plus the third one that's coming up. Look how much transpired. Look how much everything's transpired. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you've had introductions to pretty much every major character. No problems so far. And you already had the introduction of the main antagonist. Yeah. There hasn't been any hiccups when it comes to the narrative at all. It's just been very smooth. It's been a smooth ride. And the use of the nonlinear template allows the audience to move very quickly into the action without setup. 
And why? Because the setup will be told at a later time during the episode. That's why you can introduce Cyborg as Cyborg without having to worry about creating this elaborate origin story that, quite frankly, we just don't have enough time to do, nor do we we even want to see it. Yeah, Yeah, because we don't need it. Yeah. And this was one of my favorite parts of this week's episode when, you know, Mr. Nobody was fucking with everyone by making them relive what is essentially the worst part of their lives. So we're getting story progression. We're moving forward while at the same time learning about the past of our heroes. It's very clever how they're wedging in origin stories. Many shows try their hand at this and very few manage to do it successfully. And that fact, there's a show in this network that can't handle that uh, discussion arrow how many years have they suffered with with their flashback sequences oh it's all, been, all of them it's <laughs> well, flash forwards now <laughs> well the first two seasons i feel they handled it okay it was still in the form of a flashback which i think was the probably the first red flag it should have been like this where it's just a a, a seamless jump to another scene whereas they draw too much attention and arrow to those flashbacks (laughs) bob you joke but that's what i hear every time we have that white flash out you know where we (laughs) white flash out oh my god the the wayne's world sound (laughs) comes in that's exactly what i hear not only was this aspect of the story practical when it comes to how they progressed our characters but my interest was actually peaked and that's the goal of every writing staff. They got to they got to maintain our interest. And I was interested in a character, as we have said, that I really never cared about. I don't hate him like Paul, <laughs> but Cyborg, I just have never been drawn to. I find myself, even when I'm reading Racist. comics, it has nothing to do with race. I love robots. <laughs> Cyborgs. <laughs> Tech Machine people. <laughs> What'd you call it, Paul? Technologist. I don't know. I had to make something up. Uh, But the element that really made it well-rounded and complete was the inclusion that was the inclusion of that gruesome scene where his mother had died. And he didn't have an eyeball. I liked that. I like that. I like the way it looked. Uh, Nobody should have not an eye. It was have not an eye. I love. Did I stutter? (laughs) The way you said it was great. (laughs) But that whole sequence was gruesome and it just well handled Because even forget about the visuals for a second, but the sound design when he's on that slab with his father and he's like his father's ripping body parts off. of Oh, that made me that made me like cringe. Yes, you can hear every crunch and bone break. And that's what it's all about, man. This is what this is why I love this TV show, because they're utilizing every cinematic tool in that toolbox that usually is reserved for the cinema movies do all these things but the attention to detail even when it comes to sound design is just it blows me away with the amount of detail they're putting into pretty much every single fucking scene and uh getting back to the whole cyborg aspect and how they were trying to build this character up without really taking us there in in the way of a true origin story of sorts we learned that cyborg possibly fills a form of guilt. Perhaps he feels responsible for the death of his mother. I'm sure we'll find out more as the story moves forward, which that alone is a very powerful motivator, not just for character development, but for us as an audience. This is a relatable thing. And that's another goal that writers of TV shows, movies, books, comics, they got to find that relatable aspect. Most people can relate to some form of guilt. We've, we've all done something in our lives that we may not look back favorably upon. Like, ah, I could have handled that better or 
something as tragic as the loss of a family member. And you may think it's because of you, something you did. I mean, we hear stories all the time about people in car accidents and how the driver survives, but the passenger who was buckled, you know, died. And then you have the survivor who wasn't wearing a buckle lives and he has survivors, survivors guilt. You know, so these are powerful character motivators that are really working in the way of making this show not only interesting, but relevant. And all of this is done yet again in just a few short minutes that makes you wonder yet again what the fuck happened with Justice League, the movie. I mean, in just a few short minutes, they managed to create an emotional understanding. We actually understand Victor Stone and the trauma he suffered. And when you go watch Justice League two years later, I'm still trying to wonder what his point was in that movie and what his motivation was. That's the thing, though, with Justice League, though, when you watch that movie, it's not about those heroes having a good time yeah it's 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 not about it's not about it's not about flash it's not about about good writing um (laughs) it's not about aquaman it's honestly about the trinity which is batman wonder woman and superman right that that's all that was important in that film right and if that was the route they were going to take they probably should have had superman be alive the whole movie yeah 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 um but just to kind of piggyback over all of the dick sucking that you were doing, yeah. Mike. Nope. Um, nope. I remember I, we're, we're only we're only two episodes in, but yeah. I I've seen the first episode probably three times, and I've seen the second episode twice because, like, I will I will sit down with people and have them watch it with me to to get them to start watching it because yeah. it's like Doom Patrol. I don't know any of those characters. I don't know what it's about. Whatever. I don't want to watch it. Yeah, you do. Shut up. Let's do this. Um, and, and it's enjoyable. Like these, these, there's solid hour long episodes and I've seen the first two, like a collective five times and no regrets about that. It's a good time. And that's why this show is winning because of that, because it's, it's so expertly handled and it's at the same time we're, we're enjoying it. And I've also watched this now, I think three times, three times I've watched it. And each time I, I enjoy it thoroughly and I pick something new out of it because there's so much going on and this one's intentional it's not like when we watched black lightning 17 times because we forgot what happened (laughs) because it took so long between the shows yeah yeah so everything we're talking about when it comes to cyborg we're leading to something here it has to do with establishing ultimately establishing a theme that's going to be consistent through not only this episode but obviously the show the theme that you had mentioned, Dave, at the top of the show, trauma and PTSD. Those are the themes that are going to be holding this show together and the aftermath of a tragedy. This is something we typically don't see until the ending of the second act of a, of a film. But trauma is the heart of this show. Yeah. What trauma does to a person and how you deal with it. And the thing that's really amazing to me is like, just as a comic book reader, I've seen comics and I've seen stories try to tell the story of the superhero suffering from trauma, the aftermath. Yeah. And it yeah. fails miserably. Yep. I mean, they did it recently with Heroes in Crisis in DC and it, it bombed. It it doesn't make any it, goddamn sense. Generally, it's what a lot of the really bad Superman stories are about. Exactly. And like when you get with the Doom Patrol, it's just 
it, it is just like what you said, Mike. It's the heart of yeah, that you're entire not, series. You're not dragging these characters through tragedy and seeing how they how they deal with it. These characters are tragedy. Yep. This is them. Yeah, they're born in it. They're yeah. literally they they, <laughs> they were they, they were they born, were molded by they it. were molded into this. You know, like. I I still say one of my favorite characters in all of comic books is Robot Man because that has to be a fucked up existence to be just a brain inside of this metal body you can't feel and you can't have any sensation no no matter what you know how much that makes it difficult to walk and we see it firsthand in the forget fire. walk I mean you can't even appreciate Elastigirl or Crazy Jane like you like you can appreciate them in your mind but what what does it matter you have no dick. Come on, Chief. You couldn't give Robot Man a dick? A garage opener or something? A garage opener? Well, well no, you know, you can actually press a button and then all of a sudden... Yeah, yeah something that drops between his legs really slow. <laughs> sometimes it gets stuck and you have to knock it around a few times yeah, and it finally watch opens. Out, watch out for the sensor. <laughs> it's a sensor. But the, that's the only thing he has a sensor for. <laughs> I, I gotta think the Chief will do that for him eventually, right? <laughs> Come on. I have faith. Jeremy Carver, if you're listening now, please, let's make that happen. Even though it may not have been in the comic book, let's give him a dick. Let's, let's be fair. At the end of the day, that's what it's all about, right? I mean, unrelated, no. but baby steps. Let's let him meet his daughter first. Ew. No, no, he's With got his you. dick? Unrelated. <laughs> Paul, you animal. All right. So on top of all that, we're also dealing with very grounded issues. And yet again, that's another reason why this show is relatable and it works. Surprisingly enough, uh, surprisingly enough in a show filled with absurd and bizarre elements, we are essentially dealing with very real issues. And that's that's a, a very big win for this show. This show is quite literally taking trauma, which is typically a very abstract ailment and manifesting it into something tangible, along with the ideas like human flaws and imperfection, psychosis, mental disorders like DID, all of, all of which are just, I mean, great building blocks for this episode and I'm sure will be the breadcrumbs for the rest of the season that will follow. And the genius aspect of this is that it's normalizing them. And that's something that this episode was saying. So many people are you know, so so many people are shun individuals that suffer from severe disorders, but this show has tasked itself with a with uh, creating a sense of acceptance, but not just communal acceptance, but self acceptance as well, accepting who we are, which is a big part of the show, especially. And maybe I'm drawn to um, shit, Matt Bomer's character. Negative man. Negative man. I'm really drawn to his character a lot. I don't. I don't know why yet. I'm hoping eventually it'll, it'll come through to me. But I'm really drawn to his troubles, and I love how they're they're bringing these issues of self worth forward. Not just for him, for all of our characters, but with him uh, specifically. I really connected to that this week. I mean, especially because he doesn't even know really what's going on with him. Like Robot Man, he, yeah, he like, gets s- it. Side note, real quick, yeah, like. How how is he just now trying to establish ground rules? Yeah, with the being that's inside him. Yeah, like it's it's been it was like the seventies. Yes, he's been chilling. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, and, 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 you're right. That's fine. He's been nursing his wounds for and, fifty years. And you also have to understand that 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 being inside of him, it doesn't communicate with him. Okay, Dave, I have a question about this. Okay, okay. in the comic book. 
And if you feel like this is a spoiler, then don't share it. Okay. Say it's a spoiler. Do we ever learn about what this entity is and what he's it's about? It's a spoiler. Okay. All right. So he is. <laughs> well, he, like, so yes, though, is the answer. Yes. Okay. Yes so is the answer. he is important. It, it's, then, right? Leave it out there. It's, spoiler. Yes or no. It's spoiler. really. It depends on how they go about it in the comics because Native Man is one of my favorite ca- uh, characters in Doom Patrol also. Okay. That's like four characters now, bud. No, Robot Man. The and whole team is my favorite <laughs> character. The whole team. Just say but, it. Just say it, Dave. All of them. The, the the thing about Native Man, if you guys look at his origin story and what the character, his quote unquote legacy is, it's messed up. He goes through a ton of changes. I know, Dave. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing that big reason why I should say why I wanted you in this show, because they did change his his story a yes bit. they did not a bit quite a bit because i've now read half of grant morrison's run but dude it makes it makes it more palatable and it makes it more relatable okay do you think that's what it is because i felt like okay so in the comic book i'll just explain it really fast in the comic okay. book he is hold on i have it written here because i forgot in the comic book he is merged he isn't just one person he merged with the entity yes in the yes. comic book but he also merged with a woman. Yes. So he's a man and a woman. Man and a woman and the being inside of him. Mentally or physically? I think both, right, Dave? Yes. Because he has tits. Because the, the well, and the, the dick, whole, I think. The whole thing is goes later, on in his, later on in the story, he gets merged with a nurse that I think it's his nurse or it's his uh, psychologist that basically the entity decides to merge all three of them together and form this one entity. And then the whole point was she's still in there with him. So they share this one body. They're completely, you know, like different people, but they all merged into one body. So see, to me that even though I do, I'm like I said, I'm drawn to Matt Bomer's character quite a bit. I feel like that's even more interesting, but it's much more difficult to one of the things the comic books, you can do stuff like that because it's comic books. But if you're trying to do something that basically can be relatable, just like what you've alluded to in the show, Mike. Transgenders, you're saying they don't watch the show? They can't relate? Well, I, I I think they're going to take their time, establish the character, and then it sounds like they could just throw a third party in yeah. there later. Yeah. Second season that, or something. That's I don't true. think they will because the, no. whole, the whole story about, about his negative man being merged into the three people mm-hmm. is the fact that Trainer has to get used to the fact that a part of them wants to love this other man. Mm-hmm. Well, they bypassed it by saying that, Oh no, trainers just Trapped a homosexual. In the closet. Yeah. Okay. He's, he's a homosexual. Say, gay, say gay, Dave is gay. Yeah, homosexual sounds he's very gay. conservative, yeah. like Southern homosexual. He was, in the comic book, he was oh a my homosexual. God, he's a gay man. <laughs> <laughs> but the whole point about it is like, trainers uh, in the comic books he comes out as a straight male yeah this way they bypass it so no he's just a homosexual in the closet okay trying to actually be gay trying to be secretly gay how's and, that and, yeah. and do you think the the third character the female third character that was part of his character being in love with a man that he himself was not in love with you think that is the biggest takeaway from that, and they yeah. just covered all of that by making him gay? Yeah, that's the, they just covered it up by making him gay. I mean, they and could it, like there was there, first, there were no other important parts about a woman being in his body than except just, his menstrual cycle. Well, no, there was there was that. Well, no, but he's got a ween, right? 
Hey, so still bleed out of it. Oh, yeah. pee blood for a month. Ooh. Okay, Dave. And not now, a month. That's not that was wrong. Alert. I'm sorry. That science was wrong. <laughs> well, they were just that peen period. Science ju- was wrong. Science was just theories in a textbook when he was uh, alive, anyway. So. <laughs> My bad. What is it now? According to Negative Man. Negative Man, yeah. Um, All right. So let's reel it in just a bit here. Dave, so see, I was thinking possibly the reason why they didn't bother with having a character that is three people and one is because they it's kind of redundant. They have they have crazy Jay. But it's different, dude. It is well, no, yeah, it's very different. different. It's very very different. different, but do you have time to develop our characters, then develop all these personalities that I'm sure are going to get their due eventually with crazy Jane, then deal with the intricacies of three people in one as well. Exactly. That's why I was like thinking about it afterwards, because at first it kind of bothered me because you're changing. I figured it was legacy. Yeah. But for, for the show's purpose, it works better, right? It works better. Yeah. It works better for the narrative because just like what you said, if you were to actually introduce the fact that he gets merged into with another third person, <laughs> That would just be very convoluted and very confusing. <laughs> yeah, and what Paul, what you just said, Paul, about um, about possibly being able to do it later down the road, if they were to do that, I'm sure the writers can find some creative, clever way to make it happen. And then when it does happen, like in season two, season three, season four, it probably gives them more room to deal with that because the issues with Jane will have already been kind of fleshed out and worked out by that point. Yeah. So then they can tackle this, this new angle. That's what they choose to do. Yeah. Especially since they have to deal with the underground. The underground's a huge thing. Don't don't even say anything about it, Dave, (laughs) because that's the mystery of this season. And I don't want you fucking it up. Yeah. I I promise not to (laughs) throw any spoilers out there, but it it is huge. If they were, to, it would take at least a couple seasons to get through it. That's what I'm expecting, because yeah. it's not going to just end at the at this first season. Right. It has to continue on with the amount of split personalities that she has inside her body. When when Robot Man was looking around, like you you knew he was looking around for like a map of the underground. I half expected like something. Not actually the map, but maybe something that he pulled out of the way of the map. I was expecting Morrison's uh, drawing of the DC multiverse. I was expecting that to just be something they throw out of the way. That would be that would be that'd that'd be a good Easter egg. I mean, that's how you would utilize it. And a show like this, it would actually work because it's very meta how they're handling this show, Mm -hmm. especially, you know, because of the involvement of Mr. Nobody. All right. So. Let's talk a little bit more about some clever writing tricks they're doing to explain things, get the story moving without bogging us down with something, Dave, that you and I talk about all the time. And it's the blight of television and it's exposition, Dave. None of us like exposition. They have found a gimmick that will allow them to veer far away for from those use of expositions. Uh, They find smart ways of telling us things. And with a show like this. I could see how they could dangerously get into that habit because there's so much. It's a very intricate story with a lot of oddities involved. And you could see in any other show them sitting down and talking about it. You have two characters literally telling you the whole thing. That's what you would normally see in a subpar television show. Whereas with this show, they're finding some clever ways to explain things very fast without getting us into that dangerous bad writing area 
of exposition over exposition. Oh yeah. That's why I liked one of the ways they've been doing it in my opinion is like through the use of Mr. Nobody as the narrator. Yes. That's That's, one big way that, that for me is like one of the coolest things in these past two episodes. I've really enjoyed because it doesn't take away anything because we're being told by the villain, by the antagonist, like, Oh, this is, this is our, this is your ragtag bunch of misfits yeah, yeah. I, I said it i said it during our discussion of the first episode but it's like anytime anytime you get to the point where you kind of want to roll your eyes you know regardless of how much you're enjoying the yeah. show like uh then then mr nobody pops up and he just talks shit about the show for you, <laughs> you. and like you're a hundred percent back into it because you're you're feeling you feel like you're feeling how they want you to feel, even if how you feel is like, I don't love this right now, because yeah. then you immediately love it again because no, they're using nobody to actually attack the audience. Yeah, and like that's my one of my favorite scenes with nobody was the, this last one where he goes, yeah, the, the very beginning, I'm the voice of the trolls and everybody out there. And they're like, going, who are you talking to? <laughs> Oh, nobody's awesome. Grant Morrison fans, Reddit trolls with a DC subscription, subscription. and the three new fans <laughs> we kept after the donkey scene. Yeah, it's great. And they and they keep finding clever ways to do things like that. You know, kind of like, I mean, essentially filling in the blanks without elaborate scenes where they put actors in elaborate scenarios where they explain narrative decisions or story ideas through a schlocky, poorly written sequence. Instead, we're getting smart moments like Mr. Nobody and also like scenes with Niles Calder when he walks into Star Labs very easy and says to Victor Stone, you have grown. And Victor's dad says, no, the cybernetic, the cybernetics froze his growth after the accident. Easy, simple. And now we understand something important about one of our characters without wasting 15, 20 minutes explaining why he doesn't age. That's genius. It's very simple. And a lot of people may think that's not genius but it is especially with nowadays when you watch all these television shows where they try to do things and they spend so much time explaining something and you don't need it five seconds in a conversation make it casual make it casual casual is the best way to bypass exposition or the overuse of exposition because it's not you're not smacking the audience in the face with it and treating them like a a, well sometimes it's fun to smack the audience in the face with something (laughs) big and floppy that robot man does not have (laughs) Maybe I'll be rubberized now that I think about it. What? You no, want everything's, rub- everything's got to be metal. Everything's got to be metal? <laughs> yeah. God, the chase. He's always, he's always hard then. I mean, that's he's good to go yeah. at, at a moment's <laughs> notice, right, Bob? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think Bob fell asleep. That's why. Not Tony. <laughs> All right. And another example of uh, bypassing over, you know, exposition was the use of the video recordings of Jane, which I. I just I, I love that part because it's so simple and, and concise and they managed to explain just a bit because obviously they're slow playing the the um, the Jane aspect and what's going on with her yes. internally and how and what the underground is. And we learn just enough to pique our interest and maintain the mystery of this season's myth arc between Mr. Nobody and Crazy Jane with the use of the video recordings and how that was used as a way to explain what's going on with her, how she works, what she's working with, and it's going to serve as a bit of a baseline for her character's development moving forward. Simple. How long did that scene take, Dave? Like five minutes five or minutes. less? Five minutes. And not and not only that, it's it also helped get a look into what type of person Calder is. 
I mean, yeah, Coulter had to be doing this all the time. And by and the thing I really liked was in that last video that Robot Man sees, you could see that Coulter is exasperated at this point. He's like, oh, "There's so many of you. Okay, yeah. is he? Can I talk to Jane? Okay, Dave, do we learn more about him as well? Does he take a backseat continually through the run of Doom Patrol, or do we actually learn what his motivation is and why he actually forms? this group of misfits. Are you talking like in, in the actual comic in the comic like books? Right yes. They do delve into that eventually. In the correct? comic. Yes. Oh yeah. They, there's a huge All twist. Right. So then don't say anything more yeah. because I don't want to get into that. Cause I'm sure that'll be something that's connected to the reason why Mr. Nobody even wants him. Yeah. Okay. Because like the, the, there's a, there is a big plot point with the chief. Okay, good. All right. Live read, get more DC on DC on our, it doesn't, it, it doesn't, it's, so- it's foreign. Because you got to think of it this way. I've said that name over 300 times on the air, and now it's like a DC on RMD. <laughs> you, you sound like you had like an aneurysm. I, I, sound like, I sound like it's a, we have mush mouth now. Like when yeah. we try to say it, because it just throws me off. It doesn't roll off the tongue like CW. Get more DC on RMD every month. By pledging to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Digital, Head over there and subscribe to our podcast here. And when you do, you get more DC content, as well as hundreds of hours of additional podcast discussions, ranging from movie breakdowns, Star Wars discussions, Star Trek, you name it, we do it. Also, you gain access to our behind-the-scenes tier. Or sometimes we get naked. Uh, yeah, I was about to say that. There's there's peen pictures. Yeah, we get we in get in front naked. of the peens, behind the scenes. <laughs> oh, there we go. That's the next tier. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good promotion there. <laughs> say it again. Say it again, Paul. In, in, fr- in front of the peens, behind the scenes. Yes, that's going to be a, a promotion. I'm going to put it together with some music and a little jingle there. That's going to get us lots of subscribers. I hope. Uh-huh. Perfect. DC on on D. We got to switch gears because we're running out of time here. Let's talk briefly about cinematography. It would be an atrocity if we don't get into the visuals of this show. So before you get into that, yeah. Dermot Downs, Attack on Gorilla City. He did the two-part Gorilla Grodd. He's been in charge of all the crossovers for Flash, Invasion, uh, Crisis on Infinite Earth. So they always give him a lot of the big shows. He actually was the Bebo director also. Well, that not everybody can have... You know, a perfect track record. Come on, Bebo's the best thing of Legends ever. Not the Bebo episode, but Bebo later. What which Bebo episode? The, the one where the he was good, introduced. The bad, the Bebo. Is that the first one? Uh, I think that's the last one. Then that one was pretty fucking good. That was cool. Man, Dermot Downs does. He's the big swinging dick then for Berlanti. He's his go-to man. It seems like right. Well, like I said, I I recognize most of these names from the shows we've been doing for years. And well, you wonder why my shows are going down the hill. Oh. <laughs> We'll bring Dermot Downs back to those shows, but he's only he only does the okay, Mike. If I brought you to like the biggest, nicest movie studio I'm with staying. all the equipment, I'm yeah, you ain't going back to go play with fucking Legos. Yeah, it's like me telling David to go back and recording podcasts in his bedroom. Yeah, you know, no, with, I'm with not pillows. Do that anymore, like, no, yeah. he's all what? We have a studio with thousands of dollars worth of equipment. Why would I ever do a pillow fort studio ever again? <laughs> I don't have to sit fun. in Tony's lap. Can we call our studio Pillow Fort Studio? No, never, please. <laughs> Pillow Fort Studio. 
All right, so let's get into the cinematography. Uh, the way a television show is photographed is always important to me. Uh, and it's it should be important to the audience because even if you don't appreciate it because it's just not your thing, they're shoving things in your brain that you may not grasp right away, but subconsciously it's telling its own story. So it's very important. And even more so for a series like this where visuals tell a concurrent story as well. There are many shots that are strategically planned out and one that comes to mind are the wide shots. And that's all I'm going to talk about today. Because as I said, we're running out of time here. The lens choices. And I know, David, you're a big cinema cinematography buff as well. Yeah. The lens choices are designed to diminish our heroes. And you will notice this. If you didn't notice it now, you will notice it in the next episode. There are various shots where we see our lead standing in front of ma- a massive building, whether it be their home or in the town. And they look tiny and insignificant. Yep. Cinematography 101 tells you that you should never frame your protagonist in such a way unless you are purposely saying something about them because you don't want to ever diminish your hero. Yeah, it's Cinematography 101. And in those scenes, they are doubling down on the idea that these characters are normal people struggling with very grounded issues and are currently facing extraordinary events and villainy. They are essentially in way over their heads yeah and it it works because like that visual if if they were not to do that then visually we couldn't buy in into the narrative that they're trying to tell us exactly it would contradict it it's kind of like they put superman in there and all of a sudden they shoot superman as he's always been shot where he's he's always the largest figure the largest figure in the room yeah we don't believe, yeah, right, that guy has problems. Yeah, you can't do hero <laughs> shots with the Doom Patrol. Otherwise, no. it literally contradicts the overt narrative. That's partially what I was afraid of when they, we were getting to the Cyborg stuff. Yep. Because Cyborg is normally a quote-unquote heroic figure. I know you Marge. don't like him, Paul. I see the twitch in your eye when I said <laughs> Cyborg is a heroic figure. I mean, but, he's, he isn't not a hero. He just also isn't, like, really good. But he is He is like one of those <laughs> DC time. heroes that basically they picture as, like, a major force. He's, yeah. like, a very powerful entity. And even he is diminished in many yeah, shots. Yeah, he's, like, when you look at him, he he looks pathetic. Yeah. Honestly. And, you know, not only is it possibly representing... You know, um, the fact that they are not heroes and that they are up against something bigger than them, but it can also represent their own self-confidence, which we know each and every one of those characters suffer with self-esteem. Yeah. So visually, the show is just spot on. And I will be tracking these shots throughout the run. And I'm willing to bet that as the series progresses... And our heroes gain the confidence they will need in order to win the day. Those shots will start being replaced with shots that emphasize power and control. Because right now, much of this camera, much of the camera framing and blocking is designed to show that they are not in control. And they are powerless when it comes to what they're up against at this time. And they're insignificant. Yeah. Music choices. I'm loving it. How do you guys feel about the score and soundtrack so far? Let's start with David. Are you enjoying it? Is it even a big thing to you? Yes. Dude, I love it. it. It sets the tone for this type of show. Yeah. Because like right for even from the theme song, you got to get this game. Yeah. You got to get this the idea theme. that it's like, okay, this is going to be not your atypical, you know, like arrow or flash uh, show where the heroes are like can win the day constantly. 
this is going to be like a horror show or something. <laughs> is this a Doom Patrol show or is this a shit on Arrow and Flash and Legends show? I'm not I'm not quite sure. <laughs> no, no, we're not going to shit I'm not, on those I'm shows. not quite sure. Bob? Um, oh, uh, I'm, I'm not going to allow it because uh, <laughs> those shows built the base that allow us to do this They built show. his empire. So y- y'all can go fuck yourselves for talking <laughs> shit about my show. And, and you know what? I will give credit where credit's due. If it wasn't for those shows in general, not just for our network, but the sh- for, I can't even talk right now. I got all like, <laughs> I'm about to lie, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, actually, Mike, I do have one question for you, though. Okay, yeah, go ahead. In, in regards to like the, like the Flash and the Arrow show, do you guys think that this team could ever fit in like another DC no. show? No, uh, I, I honestly believe that this is basically Daredevil and Punisher compared to the MCU. I'd say even so, farther away. Yeah, yeah, farther but I'm away. just saying where they do not fit together. It doesn't matter yeah. if it was the same universe or yeah. not. I just don't see like this uh, Barry Allen coming over and being fitting into any kind of theme or anything going well, on. Here. When when you say that, do you mean like Grant Gustin's Barry Allen or just the Flash ever no, could like never any, interact like with Robot from Man? Like the Arrowverse wise, okay, yeah. the way okay. it's written today. Because that had me curious when in in when Cyborg's talking to. Uh, uh, little Betty and like she, uh, he mentions that oh you know what Flash isn't as fast as he says he is and he's he's talking about his time in the, with the Justice League I'm like going would they ever bring in say like a heavy hit or like let's say the, the Flash I, I don't think we need it Dave like if they want to use it for world building and which is what they're doing it works because they did that in Titans no spoilers here but they did that in Titans yeah. as well where they they introduce names of characters and shadows famous settings and and, <laughs> and things that we've heard of if you're a dc fan things that you've heard of throughout the years but it isn't a relevant part to the story it's simply there to create the sense of the world is bigger than what we're seeing and yeah. that the heroes exist there's only two characters i could see coming over and that would be original constantine for, you know matt ryan coming over and playing mm-hmm. like he played it on nbc and then technically black lightning Okay. Yeah. Really? Yes. Black Lightning. Because Black Lightning is like hard, more a little more hardcore than the other shows, and and he is specifically not part of the Arrowverse. Yeah, it's a, it's so. a lot darker. Yeah, um, not because he's black. Oh, but also because he's black. <laughs> I mean, so like side note, since oh, you black. since you brought up Constantine and Matt Ryan, um, originally. Like when Grant Morrison was writing the comic, Const- he wanted to put Constantine yeah, he in, wanted the series, to put Constantine in the series, and DC slash Vertigo wouldn't let him, which is why the character that I think shows up in the third or fourth episode, fourth, fourth, played by Mark the dude Shepard. who plays Crowley, yeah, um, he basically just is Constantine because that's a character that Grant yeah. Morrison had to make up to, to make be Constantine because he couldn't use him. Well, it was because at the time Vertigo when. Morrison was writing for Vertigo. Vertigo was completely separate. They didn't want to see. It was even with Swamp Thing. They didn't want Swamp Thing mingling with Superman at that time. So they said that everything that was happening in Vertigo, no, hands off. Mm -hmm. You cannot bring these major characters to clash against each other. Because at that time, DC didn't want to take that gamble. Now they do. Which brings me, that's why I asked, is like, do you guys think we could see, like, say, a Batman show up out of nowhere? Because just like what you said, Bobby, Batman's like one of those characters, too, that kind of would fit the mold in this. Bat, Bat, Batman exists in this universe. Yeah, he does exist in the universe. But I, I, at, this point in, at this point in the game, I don't think we 
need any of those heroes. So this show has so much going for it. Mentioning them, I think, is enough for yeah. now. Um, we don't have time to get into music, so let's just jump right into final thoughts. Uh, Bob. This, uh, it was one of those things I'm glad we're doing this show to continue because now I can continuously to watch it without feeling guilty that I'm going to miss out. Yeah. Um, uh, it is so fun to watch. And that's all I ever want from my shows, really, is I want to be able to forget and have fun with it. And just the whole donkey thing was just fucking ridiculous. <laughs> I um, loved it. The I had the same issue with the cyborg uh, prosthetic on his head mm-hmm. that I'm like, it, it looks like a cheap kid's mask sometimes. Um, but Party City. Party City. Yeah, <laughs> it is a part- I think there's a price tag on it still. Yeah. In the back. Well, you got to return that shit. Yeah. We don't know if he's coming back. That's gangster. You buy it just to go out, and then you return <laughs> just it. Tuck it in. Yeah. Um. You gotta return this later. Probably but they did. Mo- they did more for Cyborg again in this episode than I would ever imagine. Because I'm sort of with the Paul camp of like fuck this dude because he was always kind of like a whiny little bitch and nothing that I ever wanted to read or see on TV other than Teen Titans Go. And they've kind of turned that around for me with this character. Yeah. All right, Dave. Overall, I think, you know, my stance on this, I love this episode and I love this series so far. I look, this is one of my favorite teams in all of comic books. This is what the X-Men try uh, started as, which is like this band of misfits that oh, shit, were right. not superheroes. They were a team. And they were they were chairman and everything. Yeah, they were they they were not meant to be, you know, Superman and they were believable. And that's why I also revere Grant Morrison's run in comics. And that's why I'm really excited that so far they've stuck to their guns and said, no, this is what this is what the story is about. It's it's about basically uh, heroes that aren't normally heroes. Yeah. All right, Paul. Final thoughts. Um. I mean, I'm I'm enjoying the show. I think I've made that pretty clear. Um, I, I love the narrator still. I mean, even even just the previously on, and he like explains what happened, and it's it's great. But uh, also, um, just kind of building off of the world building stuff they have going on. Um, Cyborg found some. I don't even remember what the context was, but he was he was referencing Argus, and. Uh, I, I want to say Cadmus may have been brought up very briefly. Maybe not. But um, the fact that they're using that, the fact that, I mean, because it exists, why wouldn't it? But, you know, mentioning it and giving you options for the future, it's it's just, it's great. Yeah. It's I think stuff. that's always the difference between the rules when the Arrowverse started and where we're at now with the DC Universe, where it's don't mention it, but yeah. kind of vaguely touch on it and so people like us can figure it out but nobody else knows now they're able to use like proper words for things yeah. it's not like the bat the man who wears the bat suit in that one city uh you know next to you know and go to the blood haven and you hear all this other shit and you're just like okay well you can actually say those things it's okay yeah. okay so yeah you know obviously i loved this episode i love everything they're doing with it i have zero complaints uh even that party city mask worked for me. I didn't have an issue with it. It didn't pull me out, but um, this show is, I mean, it serves as an example of what other comic book shows should be. Embrace the comic book, quit trying to pretend these aren't comic book characters. And that's a new trend we see, especially with the Netflix, 
the Marvel Netflix stuff. Yes, I enjoy them, but there's many times they're just they're pretending they're not superheroes. They're forgetting what they are. Many times they're not wearing uniforms. They're not even really being called by their names. Like you guys decided to write a show that's about superheroes. I want to see a goddamn fucking superhero show. Or at least a show based on the comic book like this one. Because I wouldn't call this a superhero show quite yet, but it's based on the comic book. Don't forget why you're even adapting this. And they aren't forgetting that. And that's why I love the, the, the world building elements. Because it's just like when you read a comic book. They, they talk about Argus. They talk about Star Labs. Talk about Gotham. They don't pretend they don't exist. They exist in the world. It's no different than if we were talking about politics and someone said, hey, don't talk about D.C. Why? Because we don't want you to. But it exists. No, it doesn't. Like, imagine trying to have a conversation about Washington and the presidency and you can't mention the fucking White House. That's how I feel when we watch some of these comic book shows, especially the early runs of the stuff on CW. Like, just mention it. We don't need to delve into it. We don't need to see the Flash. We don't need to see Batman. But... Let it exist in the world. It creates a more robust, multi-layered world. It's world building and it makes the shows, when they do that, feel that much more complete and less superficial. All right, that concludes our discussion on episode two of season one of Doom Patrol. We will be back again with episode three, four, five, and beyond. If you guys miss any part of this broadcast, could you pick us up? On our channel, RM Channel 001, during Geek Out Saturday, you can find us on demand via iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. Just search DC on RMD. Thank you. Now comes their reckoning! They lashed their whips at you, dear Lord, and now they will be lashed with eternal flame! Almost holy side. Yes, I am ready, Father, to lead your heart. What the fuck? <laughs>